We're going to be looking specifically today at Exodus chapter 14, verses 26 through 29, which says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of pharaohs that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Kim. Kim, we got to connect before you leave. Kim's going to be doing the All of Life interview next week that we get to do, so some confusion on that, Kim. we got to figure that out. Um, all right, so here's what we're doing. Um, we're in the book of Exodus. Now, let me probably start, let me back up real quick. If you don't know who I am, because I didn't introduce myself before the child dedications, my name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here for Redemption Peoria. This is your first time. Maybe you're here for the child dedication or whatever. Um, just know as a congregation, we're elder led and we're lead pastor led, but we're also part of Redemption Church, which is different congregations throughout the state of Arizona. And you might have questions about that. I get it. The church game is changing every week in the way that people are doing church. Uh, we have convictions as to why we do it the way that we do. And so we'd love to help you navigate that, honestly. So we'll be in the lobby afterwards and I can help answer any questions that, that you might have. Um, and honestly, just another time, if um, you've been coming for a while and like what child's dedication does to me is it makes me go like, uh, like we're in this forever. Like I want you guys, like when, when you're seeing uh, the Burses have their eighth or ninth kid, right? right? Morgan, right? When you see it, um, you see that and they continue to, to raise a family. We're in this together. We see those kids. We raise our kids together. Um, and I just, man, I, I want to encourage you, if I haven't met you yet, come up and say hi, please, between the services. Well, not between services, after service. That's what I say to first service. So anyway, here's what we're doing. We're in the book of Exodus. I'm going to pray for us. I got a lot for us to, to catch up on, a lot of context uh, to where we are. But here's what I I want to read first and foremost is the beginning of Exodus chapter 13. It says this, and then I'll give us some context. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast is mine. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. Okay. I'm going to explain this for a second, and then I'm going to pray, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, here, here in a minute. But what I want you to see from the, the jump is that the story we have been in has been a story of God saving his people out of slavery. Okay? Now, for those people, the people of God, that is quite literally, they were captive in Egypt. They were literal slaves. But we as even believers now say that we are slaves to righteousness because we've been uh, called out of and brought out of this slave, the slavery of darkness that the world has. And we've been brought into this glorious light that Jesus has, according to Colossians 1. And if that's true, what I need you to understand is as we read this first part, there's this declaration that God says, I want you to give to me. Now, if you're not saved out of slavery, when you hear those words, you're going to be confused. You're going to hear this like holy posture. Christians think they're awesome. They just do all these things because they're righteous or whatever it is. And what I'm trying to tell, as you can see in the text there, uh, remember this day, which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. And then he goes right before this, I want you to give to me. 
But you need to understand if you're not a believer in here, God asking things from you is only going to come on the heels of him saving you. Meaning if you're not a believer in here, what we're going to talk about this morning might be a little confusing. This, this text is literally brought forth to people who have been brought out of slavery, who follow God. And so I want to pray with that in mind, that we who are believers in the room would hear that. And if you're not a believer in the room, you would be, begin to look at maybe what Christianity really is and not what society would say Christianity is. So let me pray over our text, and then we'll jump into two whole chapters of the book of Exodus. God, we pray that as we um, look at what it means to be a follower of you, um, our hearts would be stilled pray that as we read your word, we'd know that um, there's a lot of people in this room who need faith, and it's through faith, or it's through the word of God, according to Romans 10, 14, that you give us faith. And so um, amidst a lot of just doubting, so much doubt in the room, a lot of unfaithfulness, we're just, we continue to be unfaithful. We pray that you'd be faithful. Um, The sin that we're bringing to the table, we pray you'd meet us with grace, and that because of that, we would respond as a people of action. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So with that idea in mind, um, we're going to touch on something we just briefly touched on. Now, let me give us some context of this. Where we are in this story is the people of God have been in slavery. God rescues out of some bonker things. I mean, crazy things. These plagues of frogs and gnats, like just crazy stuff. Rescues his people out of slavery. And now they're on their way out of slavery. And God is continually telling his people what they need to do now. And part of what they need to do now is something we ran into last week is, is he's saying, I want you to remember what I did. Remember what I did. Remember what I did. But he doesn't just tell them to remember. He gives them very meticulous ways in which they're to remember. And that's where we get this text and what we got last week. So this first section, if you look at verse 3, it talks about this uh, leavened bread, verse 4, all this leavened bread, all the way to 7. That's where we're going to pick it up. Unleavened bread, this is what he tells the people, shall not be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all of your territory. And you shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep these statutes at its appointed time from year to year. Do you hear that verse 10? Because God did all this, you shall therefore do this. So here's, here's, here's what we need to see. God rescues his people out of slavery and he calls them to remember. Now, this is going to be important because the word that we need to hear and understand what God is doing is the word formation. God is forming a people. He is telling them to keep their eyes on something he did. Now, he does this in four different ways. I want you to look at the text. Notice year after year. The first thing that he's doing is I want you to be a people who is formed. I want you to be a people who does these things that I ask you to do regularly. Year after year, I want you to be consistent with it. The second thing I want you to do is tell your sons. So tell your children, tell the people who are after you, explain to them, share your testimony to them about what God has done to you. Continue to tell your sons about what God has done. The third thing is interesting. If you ever pick up the book of Exodus just randomly and you just start reading certain parts of Exodus, you find that there are a lot of things that you could go, why is this in the Bible? Like when we get to the tabernacle, there's like eight chapters in telling us how to make the tabernacle. And you go like, 
what am I going to need to know how to make the tabernacle for, right? There's all this detail that it's like, okay, cool. So when I decide to build a tabernacle, I need four bronze pillars over here and four gold pillars. No one's memorizing any of that, right? Tell me, who has memorized Exodus 33? Nobody, okay? And, and we have all these details as we go through this. And it's important because what God isn't saying is, I want you to be a foreign people and you'll get there when you get there. Do you see that? He's saying, no, 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 be intentional. Keep your eyes, put things in place, have these memorial boundaries, let it be regular, be intentional. Do this, then this. Put it on the calendar. Be intentional about being formed as a people. And then the last thing I want you to notice, it's sacrificial. Through this text, he even says to sacrifice all of the firstborn. Now, to be clear, there was a book written on God in this moment saying that he's, he's, uh, he's uh, some like psycho in the sky telling the people of Israel to sacrifice uh, through death their, the children of, of Israel. That's not at all the case. As a matter of fact, as you go on to read, I feel like that's just poor scholarship in my opinion. Look at verse 15. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. If you weren't with us, that was last week. We covered that. But the firstborn of man and the firstborn of the animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first open the womb. So you go, oh, so we're, we're to kill the same. Not at all. The next part clearly explains this. And every commentary thinks it's ridiculous that anyone would declare this. This is what God says. We, the firstborn in Egypt were killed in this darkness, slavery, and sin, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And so this starts to get at a cultural thing that we can understand within Judaism and even find in Jesus being the firstborn son of God, the only begotten son of God, we find that there is an inheritance. And this even starts to give us a little inklings into this tribe called the Levites, which we'll cover in the coming weeks. But all that to say, it's not saying that. But what I want you to hear is there are four elements that God is trying to shape and form his people by remembering. And we can read through this text and go, what do I care about unleavened bread? Don't miss what he's saying. He's saying, I brought you out of slavery and I want you to keep your eyes on me. And the way you do that is consistent rhythms, this pattern of doing things. And this pattern entails regular, doing it regularly, passing it on, being detailed about it and letting it be sacrificial. And so I stood back probably around Sunday or Monday last week, Sunday night or Monday, thinking through this text, how I wanted to articulate what, um, what God is telling his people here, because it's hard for us to understand this whole paradigm of leavened bread and animal sacrifice and all that stuff. Here's what I think ultimately God is saying. This is not canon, but I tried to do a statement that I think can portray keeping our eyes on Jesus. So here's the statement that I came up with. I could just read it if you don't have it. Okay, cool. So this is what I think God is ultimately saying. He's saying, continually train your mind, heart, body, and emotions through intentional action that the Lord gives to follow. So he, God recognizes you are a spiritual being. You have emotions. You are mental and you are physical. And he provides all these things where you have to stand up, sit down, move the bread over here, do this, tangible, physical things. Things are supposed to go on with your heart. Things you're supposed to remember. Things that are supposed to control. Maybe when you feel fickle about your spirituality, there are all these things that God says, I want you to be formed in this way over and over regularly, continually train your mind, heart, body, and emotions through intentional action that the Lord gives you to follow. And so what I did is I sat back and I thought, what if we were the people of Egypt today? Like even post-Christ, we came out and we didn't know, okay, what does God want from us? We've got the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, but we've never really like read it before. What would we read? And what's interesting is even as a New Testament people of God, there are 1,050, over a thousand commands in the New Testament alone. When I say, say commands, these are called imperatives, meaning they tell you to do something. 
So we are people saved by grace, and yet there are over a thousand commands where God says, do this. Now, most of these commands, or at least half of them, are commands that you're aware of, like, like put on peace or um, uh, take up your cross, things that we're aware of that are like signs of the people of God. But what we find a lot is what I'll call rhythm commands. And they're very similar to what God is doing in the book of Exodus. And so if we were the people brought out of slavery, the way that I would, and I quote here, continually train your mind, heart, body, and emotions through intentional action that the Lord gives, I think he gives us something that has been a lost art in the Christian world today. It's unfortunate. It's a word that some of you might not even be familiar with, and actually a couple weeks ago I got to teach through this, that it is a part of the DNA of Redemption Peoria. It's something called spiritual disciplines. And it's great teaching through books in the Bible. You don't get to pick what you want to teach through, right? So like we can't just talk about 10 ways to get out of debt. We have to like go through what the Bible tells us to go through. And I've been waiting to get through this because I think this spiritual disciplines thing um, needs to be talked about in our church. And I've been excited to talk about it. And it's unfortunate that some of us aren't aware of it because the church has been doing this for millennia. I mean, monks based the rule of life on a lot of this. The Puritans understood there were things that God said to keep my eyes on the cross and to remember Jesus. There are things I put in my life over and over regularly that are sacrificial, that I pass on to my children, that I continue to go after, that are there as a command in the New Testament. And so there are probably 10 or 12 of them. I just want to give you seven of them really quickly. And, I, and, and, and this may take a, a chunk of our time, but I think it's worth it. So here's what God says in the New Testament. If you want to be a people of God, to keep your eyes on him, to remember who he is, to not be fickle in your spirituality, the first one I would point to you, that God commands you to pray. I, I, and when I say pray, pray regularly. Pray, pass it on to someone or your children. Be detailed about it. Don't just be like, I think I'll pray on Thursday. No, no, no. Every day, I pray at this time. I know when I get in the car, I'm not listening to talk radio. I'm not listening to a podcast. I'm going to spend, and I'm going to talk out loud because I know my mind wanders. I'm going to pray. Pray. We see this in Matthew 6. Matthew 7, he says, ask, seek, and knock. Jude 120, he says, pray in the spirit. These are all commands. God tells his New Testament people to pray. The second thing is a spiritual discipline. Know your word. Now, I didn't just say read your word, because what scripture does a lot is it tells us to like meditate on it, store it in our heart. It never tells us just to read it. It tells us to know it, and not just intellectual assent, but to like store it up in our hearts. Listen to some of this. Uh, Keep the commands of God in Matthew uh, 19, 17, right? John 14, 15. Hold forth the word of life in Philippians 2, 16. Desire the milk of the word, 1 Peter 2, 2. So hear me. Know your word. Know your word sacrificially. Be detailed about knowing your word and be regular about it. Every day, every week, every month, be about it. To keep your eyes on God, he's given us New Testament rhythms. But we're not done there. I'll be a little faster through some of these things, uh, the the middle half here. The third one I would say is be on mission. God commands his people a lot. Uh, In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Mark 16, 15, Matthew 5, uh, 16, let your light shine, go and preach, go and teach. Be about what God is doing regularly, talking to people about Jesus. And you don't got to be the weird person about it. But as you live your life, you're thinking through, how does this glorify the kingdom of God? How does this lift up the kingdom of God? And in doing so, you are living your life, you're reminding yourself repetitively over and over, this is where my gaze is towards, it's towards the cross. The fourth thing, rest God commands us to rest. And this is a commandment that carries over, we'll see, from the Levitical law. In Romans 14, 5 through 7, and Colossians 2, 14 through 16, let everyone choose his own Sabbath day. It's interesting. Um, 
in a society that tells us to go, 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 and be like constant, it's almost as if like you think for a second, if you don't do it, it won't get done. Listen, if the creator of all things can like kick back for a day, you'll be okay, right? Like the snow cone shop ain't going anywhere. It's gonna be fine. Like that, that, those papers, they'll get filed. That email, it will get checked. That patient will be taken care of. And God says, take a day and I want you to be. Now this is important um, because I've explained in the Myers household on Friday at five o'clock, we light our Sabbath candle for 24 straight hours. Now the kids may go and they're gonna play video games or whatever, throw their life away for those 24 hours. But, but I, I, because I work with my mind, I love to rest with my hands. I've explained this to you guys before. And so I'm going to go in the garden or I'm going to build something. And I'm not going to think about the sermon. I'm not going to think about counseling. I'm not going to think about any of it. I'm just going to be, I'm going to rest. God commands it of us. Rest. Seven days a week is not good for your soul. He also tells us to give. We've talked about this. We had a sermon on that uh, between... uh, Um, the two books in the Bible that we did before with Exodus and Philippians. Uh, He tells us to give to him who asks in Matthew, Romans 12, 13, give to the needy and the saint, ultimately in Colossians 3, 17 and 14, uh, Revelation 14, 7, we ultimately give to God. Here's a good one. We're going to talk about this next week. Worship and song. Listen to this. I love this. Edify yourselves with singing, Ephesians 5, 19. Sing with the grace in your heart, Colossians 3, 16. God commands that his people sing. So listen, you're at home, You know the spouse and kids ain't going to be there yet, right? Or you're in the car. You know you're going to be by yourself for a while. Throw that track on, right? Even if it's Bethel, it's okay, okay? Throw it on and sing. Regularly, intentionally sing to God. It's good for your soul. It keeps your your gaze on the cross. And then here's the last one that I just, I, I, I want to acknowledge. And this is always an awkward one for me to acknowledge, which I'll explain. But the Bible commands us continually to gather. And there's just no way to get around this. Hebrews 10.25, let us not forsake the assembly together in worship. And that's used all the time. And it's almost like this idea that I mean just Sundays. But, but when it tells us to gather in that same verse in Hebrews 10.25, it says to encourage and rebuke one another. In the verse right before, it says this, so we would provoke one another to love and good works. So we are commanded to gather regularly. And so this is where like, there's a part of this that I just want to say, watch what gathering in a living room with believers weekly does for your soul. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've sat there talking to someone who's been out of pocket, not gathering with Christians regularly, and they're talking to me, and I'm sitting there thinking, we just talked about this in community, right? Like, oh, like if you would just hear this regular version, you would just hear what's going on often. There's a reminder that the people of God can look at you and go, hey, your life's a little tilted. They, they, like, like they can look at you and go, you're doing good. Don't worry. I, I have doubts. I lack faith at times. Jesus is good. Gathering with the people of God continually is good for your soul. Hear me. It's hard. I want to remove the pastor title because it feels like so often I'm saying that because I want you to come to church. Listen, this is for your joy, bro. This is for they're like everything you're looking for to keep your gaze on Jesus. The people of God are going to remind you of it. They're going to they're gonna help get you there. And so don't neglect this. Now we can go on with more and more practices. There's fasting and so on and so forth. But we're going to leave it there. And if you have questions, I can give you books.
tons of stuff written on this, but it's unfortunate that we've lost this idea of spiritual disciplines. That what God is doing in the Old Testament, telling them to remember the Passover in this certain way, he is giving now. It's, it's difficult to lose hope with once a year we're reminding ourselves of the ultimate hope in the resurrection, right? We're doing these continual rhythms. It's hard to lose the fact that our eternity is not here, but found in the kingdom of God, ultimately secured in Jesus Christ when we take communion and remember weekly. These things are, are put in place for us to do often, to be sacrificial. It's not easy. And ultimately, um, uh, to pass on to those uh, who come to faith after us. So I want to leave you there. I want to keep reading in the text because I think there's some things uh, to acknowledge with some of this stuff. So verse 17, it says this, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up, the land, went, uh, uh, up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. So they're leaving Egypt. They, they uh, stopped at this place last week that was about eight miles out of Egypt. Now they're going to their homeland and the place they need to go, these Philistines, which are, you find in the Old Testament a lot, enemies of God, they're in the way. And so God, you ready for this? Takes them the long way. Now I don't think God taking his people the long way because they'll, they'll have doubts and fear, the Philistines, is an accident on the heels of remembering. Christians, believers, we got the long play here. The reason you need to remember and be consistent in your formation is because you're not just going to like get to heaven now. Some of you got 40, 50, 60 years to stay convinced of what the Holy Spirit has showed you. And so formation keeps you on track. And so God takes them the long way around this, this path. And then at this point, there's this weird section where Moses and the people of Israel take Joseph's bones out of Egypt. He was the one who brought them out of Egypt. I don't think Moses is like carrying Joseph's bones in a duffel bag or something. I think it's, I think it's like a very um, important act. And ultimately, we don't have to get a, a ton into it. I think what he's declaring, God uh, wants the people of Israel, Moses taking Joseph's bones is, um, first of all, Joseph asked for it. But ultimately, like it's their, their history, their past coming with them right, as they go to Canaan, and there's a ton to unpack there. But there's that little section there. But I want to pick it up in verse 21. It says this, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might uh, travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Um, So they're being led now as the people of God go. During the day, it's a cloud. And then at night, it's a fire. I think there's been a little bit of a misnomer on the way that this Hebrew is articulated. I don't know Hebrew, but of the, everything of the commentators would say is it should be articulated a little bit closer of a fire inside a cloud. So like by day, you don't really see the fire. It's easier to see a cloud. And to be honest with you, at night, we only really see clouds based on what we can't see, the stars. We recognize the clouds are up there. And so um, God is leading as like this one thing. It's not like the sun and the moon, okay? And the fire's coming up, the cloud's going away. It's, it, it seems to be uh, structurally this one entity, just FYI for whatever that's worth. Uh, let's go to uh, the next chapter, skipping to verse 5, because this is where start the action starts to get. So when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with them, and took 600 chosen chariots and all of the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. So um, 
There's a little bit of buyer's remorse here by Pharaoh, right? So they leave Egypt. Pharaoh's like, get out of here. And as they leave, um, Pharaoh realizes, oh my gosh, we just let like over a million free slaves go. That's a lot of labor. That's a lot of free labor we got. And so they chase after them. Again, I'm not trying to like make the text sexy or over-spiritualize it, but I do find it interesting that God uh, is forming a people while their past wants back in. And I think that's true for us as believers. You, you come to follow Jesus Christ and he continues to form you because that old man, that old woman still wants back in. I find that interesting. Verse 10 says this, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? And they continue to complain. This is an interesting deal because they're doubting, and you want to go to the people of Israel. Do you not remember all that God has done? Like, do you not remember? God's got this, okay? In verse 13, it says this, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent believers. Tell me you hear that. Like, Pharaoh and the Egyptians are, like, coming down to pummel them. And that the response is, I've brought salvation. I'm going to save you. Only be silent. I'll take care of it. I love what God does in this moment because he doesn't remind them of their strength. He reminds them of his strength. This is exactly what Victor Hamilton, the the guy that I've been quoting as we've been going through the Exodus, he says, listen to what he says. All these fears that God addresses are normal and real. They're not illusionary. God does not lie to us about danger, nor does he plant in us the idea that they are figments of our imagination. What he reminds us is that in order for these frightening situations to get to us, they will first have to get past him. God can rest not because of the absence of danger, but because of a God in whom we can trust. So I tell my, young, my, my uh, oldest daughter, uh, Eve, I tell her all the time, God will protect you. Now, that doesn't mean that bad will befall her. A lot of bad will probably befall her in this world, but God will protect her. And when it's all said and done, I believe in my heart of hearts, she will stand before Jesus and she'll go, I see what you're doing. I see what you did. God's got you. The danger is real. It's not illusionary. The pain you feel is actually there. And there are many moments where you wonder why he's not taking it away. And his response is, I've got you. I've got you. Now from this play, God ends up calling his shot as he has multiple times in 15 through 18. But I want to pick it up in 19 through 22. We're almost done. Then the angel of God who was going before the hosts of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved uh, from before them and stood behind them. Verse 20, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the, the sea on dry land, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So this is a little bit where I think Charlton Heston and uh, Mariah Carey and, well, Christian Bale for sure, all kind of let us down in their depictions of Exodus. There's a few things going on here. Number one, um, this is an all-night process. Usually we get this depiction of Moses throws his staff down, and it's like, that's my sound of water, 
right? Um, all the waters part and they walk through. But you can clearly see multiple times. This is an all-night process with an east wind. And while they're there waiting for the sea to part, that cloud of, and fire is separating. So there's the people of Egypt. There's this fire that's separating the people of Egypt from the people of Israel and then the sea. And all night what's happening is that sea is being parted. Okay? It's still a very miraculous thing, but I don't, I, the timing of it has always seemed off as you read through the, the book of Exodus. So there's some really cool dynamics that are going on there worth, worth observing. And then it says this. So the, the people of Israel start to walk in. They walk on dry land, right? And the water now is, is on both sides of them. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch... The Lord in the pillar of fire and in the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. You think? Um, so I remember when I was in um, fourth grade, and uh, I came to front this dude uh, who was in sixth grade named Oscar because he was talking trash about my girlfriend, Teresa. And... Um, and I remember Oscar, he's in sixth grade, and him and his, like, cholo buddies were kicking it like this. And, and this small little white dude walks up, and I'm like, Oscar, what'd you say about Teresa? Right? And I'm, like, acting all tough. And I remember Oscar standing up, and I was nine at the time, so I can't give you definite dimensions, but I'm pretty sure he was eight or nine feet tall. And he stood up, and I realized I don't want to mess with Oscar. Okay? And I remember my boy Tom audibly laughing in my face when he saw how big I realized how Oscar was. Like from the other side of the playground, he wasn't that big. But man, he was a big dude in sixth grade. One of those kids who had the mustache and everything. And so I, 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 I see it, Tama, and I realize I can't take Oscar, right? I need to get out of here, right? So like, I don't think the art teacher's calling. I got to go, right? Um, and so, so I, that's Pharaoh. Pharaoh's me in that situation. And God's Oscar, right? Like, Pharaoh in this moment realizes, I shouldn't have messed with Oscar, right? I need to get out of here. And so they try to leave, uh, and, and God uh, doesn't allow it. He calls, flees for them. They say, they realize how amazing he is. But then this is what God says in verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. Verse 27. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians in the, into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Um, so on Thursday night, uh, I took my, uh, Eve, my daughter, to this daddy and daughter day that we do uh, once a month and we go and she always wants to go to the dollar store so she's picking out four things she gets to pick at the dollar store and they had Halloween decorations set up and I saw this tarantula it's about the size of my hand and it looked kind of real it was a dollar so I'm like oh I'm gonna get this this is all day right so so I get it and I just for 48 hours just am a wrecking ball with anyone who comes to our house and my family I'm like tying it to a string in the fridge so when they open it they lose their mind I call Candace like hey can you grab me something from the laundry room and it's scaring her I like put it on the toilet so when they open and don't give me this whole like God hasn't given us a spirit of fear stuff original text God hasn't given us a spirit of fear unless it's hilarious and then do it all day okay so I'm scaring them it's, it's just I'm killing it all right and uh Friday night, I get up. I wake up a lot in the middle of the night. I don't know why. And it's about 2 a.m. 
And I walk outside of our room, and I don't know if one of the kids had just kind of moved the spider because they were scared out from one of the rooms, but the spider's in the hallway. It's about 2 a.m., and I lose my mind, okay? I see this tarantula, and I trip. And I just woke up, so I couldn't even cognitively get there that this thing is not real, right? And I felt, I don't think this was the Lord, I think this is just more me, but if it was, it'd still be hilarious. I just felt this voice in my head go, that's what you get, right? Now, we have a word for this in English, okay? It's called poetic justice, okay? And um, we have all kinds of versions of, of poetic justice, but, but uh, poetic justice is kind of defined, this is a loose definition, obviously. It's like a hint of irony with a little bit of that's what you get. And what I think we've missed in the book of Exodus is God's, and it feels like a book of wrath, which it is, but there have been some amazingly beautiful versions of this poetic justice that we've seen. Let me give you an example of this on just a large scale. What we have is a people of Egypt who want to do things their way, okay? Now, I want you to look back and remember how creation started. Creation started in darkness, in this void, in this chaos. God took all of this, and then he made things. And in making things, he made animals, and he made creatures, and he made all of these things so that man would rule over them. What we find in the the, the book of Exodus with Egypt is choosing to do their own things, their own way, having their own standards, quite literally reverses creation. Now they become subject and slaves and are punished by creation, ultimately working back into darkness. Can you see that? Now, there's, it's not just true of like the large scale, but you also see this on small scales. Uh, if you remember, one of the plagues was boils. All the people of Egypt got boils. Now, I don't you know if you remember this, but all of the people got boils, and the way that God did it was he took the soot of the furnaces. So the soot, like the dust of the furnaces, and, and he spread it out, and then everyone who either breathed in or landed on, they got boils. Now, I'm not sure if you're connecting the dots there, but you want to know how the people of Israel had to make their bricks? in the furnaces, the very bricks they were slaves to by making buildings. And in this moment, God is using that soot to give them boils. This is God saying, I told you so. That's what you get. Now, there's not a larger um, campaign of this poetic justice. And you may feel like, why is God doing? What about God of grace? You can listen to last week how we talked about this. But man, the way that the book of Exodus starts is this people of Egypt, not just hundreds, not just thousands, but tens of thousands of baby boys being thrown into a river to drown. That river being called the Reed Sea, in Hebrew the same as the Red Sea. The way that they punished and killed all these these babies, in this moment they themselves are drowned. It's poetic justice. And it may feel awkward to to think that, but, but God knows what he's doing in the area of retribution. He does. Now, the way that the text ends here is it says this in verse 30. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that uh, the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I want you to go back. Look at verse 10. It's interesting. When the people of Israel saw the Egyptians, they were afraid. And now in verse 31, when they see uh, God and what he can do and how he saves his people, they fear the Lord. I don't think our text um, in these two chapters, I don't think that's an accident. That God is telling you, going back to where we started, I'm giving you ways to gaze on me. I'm giving you ways to keep your focus on me so you fear me. Because, as in verse 10, if you keep your eyes on the Egypts of this world, you're going to be afraid. 
you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna totter. I don't think that's an accident the way that ends. And so there's the end of our two chapters. Now, uh, to leave you for my last five minutes, I, I, I want to... Um, I want to acknowledge that this is the last time that we'll see the Egyptians. We'll hear about them, but this is the last kind of hurrah. There's no, like, when you ever used to watch the Ninja Turtle Shredder, we're always like, punch through the rubble one more time. He's always alive. No, Pharaoh is dead, okay? Um, and they're, they're gone. And so we'll hear about them. We'll hear about them a lot, but we won't see them again. And so I wanted to kind of step back and say, what can we learn from 14 chapters of Exodus up to this point? This whole story. We're going to turn a corner next week into this new story of what God is doing with the people of Israel and, and there's four things that I thought are uh, worth acknowledging. So let me just go through them very quickly, and this will catch up if you haven't been here uh, up to this point. Number one, it would be impossible for you to read Exodus up to this point and not just see how amazing God is. Like, this dude is powerful. Like, mighty. I, I mean, to, like, Job 34, if he chose to remove his spirit from the earth, all man would instantly return to dust-type mightiness. You question where he's at, just read the last four chapters of Job and you will see how mighty God is. He is mighty and he is strong. And don't confuse what you think God should do with what God can do. He is mighty and he has flexed really hard here in the book of Exodus. He has shown what he can do. That's why it's a story that we remember a lot. Number two, I want just to acknowledge uh, through the first 14 chapters how much God is leading his people. And you know what's frustrating? I think a lot of us would say, but if God led me with a pillar of fire or a cloud, then I would be willing to follow. I know where he is leading me. You know what's interesting? If you are a believer in this room right now and you follow Jesus Christ, you have something so much better than a cloud. John 14 tells us, Jesus reminds us, when I leave here, I'm going to give you my spirit the Holy Spirit. So it's not just a cloud outside of you. It's the Spirit inside of you. And if we would be patient and he would listen, he is guiding us like he guides the people of Israel. He's been leading this whole deal. Which leads two things to us. The first thing is this. Um, in that whole process of formation, I can't help but recognize what we've seen again and again with the people of Israel in particular. And that they are, um, it almost feels bipolar. They are up and down when it comes to following God. I've been using this word fickle. Uh, like, like what we have, so for example, in, in uh, Exodus 4.31, it says, And the people believed when they heard the Lord had visited, they bowed their heads in worship. The people of God are all in. Yet the next chapter, in chapter 5, the Lord looked on you and judged. That's what they say to Moses after they've been working. The Lord looked on you and judged us because you have made us a stink in Pharaoh's eyes. And they start to complain. What is God doing? This is awful. Then in chapter 12, the people of God listen to the commands of the Lord and they follow. And then in chapter 14, we find two exceptions of this. First, they grumble and complain. And then we find that they worship and fear the Lord. The people of God seem to be up and down, up and down. They're fickle. They seem to be on like this sinking sand. They don't know where to stand. And hear me, it's not going to end. The whole story of the Old Testament is the people of God getting it right, getting it wrong, getting it right, getting it wrong, getting it right, getting it wrong. And all through this, I cannot help but hear the declaration, continually train your mind, heart, body, and emotions with intentional action that the Lord gives. Make it to where when you don't go to community, when you don't read your Bible, when you don't pray that day, it feels awkward, not vice versa. That will help keep us with a level head. That will keep, keep us steady through moments of, listen, the doubt is real. The faithlessness is real. But the consistent pattern of good works is going to keep us on the right trajectory. 
And this leads to the last thing, and this is where I'll close. Um, In verse 13, it makes an amazing statement. It says this, if you can go back to verse 13. It says this, uh, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. There is a declaration in this moment that as the waters wash over the Egyptians, God has shown his salvation. And that made me think, what just happened? What is the salvation of the Lord? And this is where we've got to step away for a moment and look at our own context and realize it's unfortunate that when we think about God doing something, there are these two strong camps that we feel like we have to belong to. On the conservative side, there's this strong camp that says, tell them about Jesus, tell them about Jesus, tell them about Jesus. Yes, wells matter. I'm not saying they don't matter, but tell them about Jesus. If that gets there, to the point of let's lie to governments. These are organizations who have lied to governments about what they're doing just so they can tell them about Jesus. Then there's this liberal side of things that says, yes, we do want to tell them about Jesus, but they need water, so build them a well. They need food, so give them food. Provide, 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 provide. And it feels like at moments we're stuck between choosing these things. And I'm reading the story of Exodus, and I'm going, this whole deal is all-encompassing. The salvation of the Lord that God brings to his people and through his people offers them on mission is both. This is actually what Chris Wright says in his book, A Mission of God's People. He's different from N.T. Wright. He, he, he says this, and it's a longer quote, and I think it's great to where to finish. He says, political, economic, social, spiritual. All of these dimensions are integral. Integral. Why can't I? I couldn't see it in first service either. To the Bible's first, they're important. To the uh, Bible's first great act of redemption. God did whatever it would take to rescue Israel out of whatever form their bondage took. So the Exodus narrative tells us comprehensively what God did when he redeemed Israel. God's momentous act of redemption did not merely rescue Israel from political, economic, and social oppression and then leave them to their own devices to worship whom they pleased. Nor did God merely offer them spiritual comfort of hope for some brighter future and a home beyond the sky while leaving their historical condition unchanged. No, the exodus affected real change in the people's real situation and at the same time called them into a real new relationship with the living God. Which begs a question, which he asks, listen to this question. Now if the mission of God's people flows from the mission of God, what do we learn from the Bible's first story of redemption about the shape of our own mission? If that's how God interacts with people and saves them, all, yes, water and the gospel. Listen, just giving $100 to the well doesn't make up for you not opening your mouth out of cowardice and proclaiming the gospel. But just proclaiming the gospel because this life circumstances don't matter, not of this world, that doesn't count either. It seems to be all-encompassing. He rescues them and makes them his people. And so his answer is the inevitable outcome surely is that the exodus-shaped redemption demands exodus-shaped mission. And that means that our commitment to mission must demonstrate the same broad totality of concern for human need that God demonstrated in what he did for Israel. May we be that type of missional people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your goodness and grace towards us. Thank you that in a text like this that seems abstract because it's so many thousands of years old, uh, it, it can feel a little daunting to try to understand how we can apply it to our life. But I'm grateful that you do give us very practical ways in the name of Jesus to follow you. 
And that now being in this covenant of grace, understanding that as a people who is saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can't help but respond. But Lord, we forget that. And so we buy into other false gospels, other false narratives. We believe the narratives of this world. And so we need to be reminded as you commanded the people of Israel. So I pray as a congregation, we would put those things in place, that we would be a people of prayer and your word and of giving and of rest and of mission and of gathering, that you would do this within us and you would do it often. You would remind us, Spirit, when and where and how. So God, as we leave here, my last call and blessing would be to ask that um, you would show us how we can be more of a people of mission in a comprehensive way, not just as a congregation, but as, uh, as an individual. We thank you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen.